This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Andy Levine, President and CEO of the American Seed Trade Association. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the crop insurance industry. NCIS provides the primary safety net for millions of acres of cropland and hundreds of commodities across the U.S., enabling farmers to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Andy Levine next. America's farmers and ranchers are relying on crop insurance now more than ever before to provide individualized protection and to secure operating loans. Protecting more than 290 million acres of farmland and more than 130 commodities across the U.S., crop insurance is the primary safety net for many farmers, enabling them to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. Crop insurance, providing peace of mind now and for the next generation of agriculture. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. From alfalfa to zucchini, conventional, organic, or biotech, the American Seed Trade Association represents over 700 member companies who have a single goal of bringing high-quality seed to their customers. Andy Levine, president and CEO of the American Seed Trade Association, says he's thankful that the consuming public is able to choose from foods produced in a variety of means from quality seed. Levine says the goal of ASTA is to provide a business environment with a regulatory structure that is both clear and transparent. Consumer acceptance of new science and technology is an issue both domestically and internationally. Levine says ASTA is ramping up an educational campaign to help their customers and consumers understand new innovations in the seed industry. Yeah, we feel that uh, it's important for the consumer of our products, America's farmers, as well as the public to understand what seed companies are doing today to bring uh, new seed varieties to the marketplace, new choice for farmers, and uh, what, what companies go through in their breeding techniques to enhance the seed varieties that are out there. So we're starting an effort. Uh, we rolled that out in Chicago, kind of a soft rollout with a, a more formal one coming in June this year at our annual meeting in, in here in Washington, D.C. So we're excited about it. We've got a great story to tell. And um, uh, I think the American farmer knows that already because of uh, the, the decisions they make every year and the purchases they make of our seed. And we want to make sure that the American consumer knows that as well. Andy, what are some of the regulatory issues that are either here today or those that you see that may be coming that are a concern for the industry? Well, there is a group of, uh, I would say, a segment of, of uh, people who are concerned about today's modern agriculture, the tools that the agriculture community uses to produce the food that comes to our table. One of those uh, concerns is the breeding techniques and whether they should be regulated. And we, many of these techniques have been used for years. And what we've been able to do, they're not new to us, what we've been able to do is improve them. And it's much like uh, we started out with a computer that was the size of uh, a room in your house and we've gotten down to a, a handheld phone that carries more memory than uh, than. Uh, that big computer that IBM created years ago, in 30 years. We've been able to do the same types of things in our breeding practices, and that's one area that we are concerned about with, with our um, seed breeding techniques in the future. Are there concerns with regard to neonicotinoids and pollinators? Are we really going after the right things? We don't think we are. 
uh, we, we are working very closely with, uh, with Crop Life America, with our companies that are using these, uh, these neonicotinoid treatments, as well as all seed treatments. We think that that's the best way to deliver uh, protection of that germplasm and or technology that's in that seed and ensure that that farmer gets a good, uh, good return. But also it protects the environment, and it, it very much protects the farmer because when that seed's delivered to him, it's already treated. He doesn't have to make a broadcast ap- application prior to his planting to protect the seed, and there's less going on per acre in almost every case. So we think it's a great technology, a great innovation, and a lot of new treatments coming into the marketplace. What role do you see seed treatments playing in the future? I mean, this is almost like a new frontier all on its own. It really is. Uh, one of the things that we're seeing is the renewed interest in biologicals, the ability to really enhance that root ball as it, uh, as it germinates and comes uh, to fruition into a plant. And so we think that there are going to be some things with respect to micronutrients, uh, biologicals, as well as other means of treating that seed. And again, it, it reduces the environmental and the health risks on the farmer and his land as well as any uh, off-target uh, pests that may be out there. So it really is a great way to do a pre-plant application and ensure really high germination. Andy, we're coming off 2014 that will show record production for corn and for soybeans in the U.S. We're looking at what could be record production from the southern hemisphere and the crop that's in the field right now. But even at looking at those numbers, we know it's not enough to satisfy demand for food that's coming either A, from the growth of the middle class, or B, from a growing world population. What urgency in your industry do you see uh, that helps us to embrace these new technologies to meet the challenges for production ahead? Jeff, that's a really good question, and I think that the the, uh, the industry is really, one, um, excited about the opportunity to address this urgency, but also they realize that it's a, it's a key thing that is a responsibility that we have. And so they are looking at how they invest in new greenhouses, new laboratory equipment, new um, uh, technology to monitor and manage their uh, research as they go along. Investment is going in rapidly in our industry, I would say, at every level to help improve those varieties and understand uh, um, we've got a, a responsibility to fill here. And, you know, we all know in this industry we've had a very fortunate year across the board, but you look back three years, it wasn't such a good season. So we're always one uh, bad weather event away from a really short crop. So um, we're realizing that we have a role to play in providing that uh, seed that is resilient to the weather changes and pest pressures, and we're going to continue to, to bring those new choices to the farm community. It's also knowing that some of the goals that we're setting for sustainability can be achieved inside new technology in the seed. It really is, and uh, uh, some of the relationships that are being developed out there between companies uh, starting with seed up through processing and into the marketplace are pretty amazing. You've got some big drivers out there these days, as as you've probably talked to your listeners about, with Walmart pushing various sustainability efforts and other major companies looking at how do they improve it. And they're talking all the way down to seed companies. And we've got a great opportunity to do that with fertilizer efficiency, uh, reduced pesticide use, uh, other things that are uh, helped improve that sustainability for that farmer uh, through generations to come. But we also will find a point where the research is at one level 
and the acceptance by the consumer either domestically or globally can inhibit progress. Yeah, and we see that at every level as we go along when you have major improvements in, in innovation, whether it's in the food production process or food itself or other technologies. And our effort to educate and outreach is not something that we're going to look at just a two- or three-year effort. It's going to be a long-term effort to continue that education. Uh, we're looking at it all the way from kids in middle and high school through college and into their into their uh, years when they become uh, parents. So I think that's what it's going to take. It's going to be a constant evolution. It's still a challenge when one company submits a new trait to China in 2010. In 2013, they reject boatloads of dried distilled grains and of that commodity and Mm -hmm. another commodity and soybeans that they won't accept because that trade is there. And then finally, Chinese approval of the Syngenta Viptera trait in late 2014, for your companies to be able to exercise their innovation for producers, the acceptance has to be faster than three years. It does. This one, we hope, was an anomaly. We know we've got several in the queue in China at this point in time. We've got also you know, other opportunities that may come open in, in other countries that uh, may not have a functioning regulatory system and can approve new traits in, uh, in, that come into the U.S. market and would be used uh, to produce grain for export. So we've got to continue to work on that. We've got a great activity going on with the seed and biotech companies as well as grower organizations and the grain companies to coordinate our efforts here to make sure that we uh, educate the farmers and the grain industry on where we are in approving new products in certain countries, uh, letting the grain industry know what countries are of major interest or concern for them with respect to import-export, and then using all of our efforts globally as we go out and communicate with uh, the governments that may import product about approving these so that trade doesn't stop and their consumers or farmers aren't impacted. One side is the acceptance of the trade. The other would be somewhat of an accepted tolerance level that would allow trade to continue. The issue of a tolerance level is is heavily in discussion right now. Uh, How do you put that in place? What's consistent across countries? Can you do it in a temporary time frame when you have a product that's approved in the U.S. in a certain number of countries but not in one country that is... uh, uh, has not been a major importer and doesn't uh, have a process to deal with these crops. So that's not off the table, Jeff. Uh, there is going to continue to be some discussion about how do we do something that could be globally accepted as far as a uh, certain level and then uh, give them confidence in the system to be approved in you know, a year or two after it's approved here in the U.S. The China Viptera issue, is that the last that we'll see of that issue or the beginning of issues? Well, I would say it's not the last. We've got, as as you mentioned earlier, Jeff, we've got several products in the queue in China, uh, and there's not, uh, I would say we don't know what the path is. There's not a clear path forward on how they will be handled versus how these last three that were just approved will be, um, were handled. So um, there's concern that uh, we might go back to a little bit of a um, no action period and then have to push again to get things done. We hope that... uh, uh, the Chinese government and the Ministry of Agriculture will go back to a, 
uh, regular approval cycle. But at this point in time, we don't have any certainty there. You know, Andy, I remember a few years ago at the Farm Progress Show, and one of the companies uh, was showing uh, the soybean genome and the millions of combinations that were available in a counter in front as they were finishing mapping the plant. It was it was an amazing uh, display of what's possible as we look inside the actual blueprint uh, of that particular crop. So whether you're using advanced technology to take traits from one seed, from one variety, and put it into the other, or whether you're just using uh, biotechnology to peer into what's into that seed, it seems like we've 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 brought ourselves to a point that we're able to bring new uh, life sciences to agriculture much quicker than we ever have before. Jeff, you're right on. It, really, what we've seen is uh, innovations in human health and uh, treatments and other things have come into the agriculture community, and we've been able to map the genome of many uh, plant varieties over the last 20 years. And that's enabled uh, plant breeders to essentially look at uh, the exact makeup of a plant to tell you how, how many, how, what makes the ears big, what makes the, the leaves big, what makes the stalk thicker or thinner, um, all of those factors that enable you to say, I like the, this part of that corn plant and this part of this corn plant, and I'm going to bring those two pieces together exactly. And through the improved breeding techniques that we've had and the ability to really look at that plant and what makes it tick, uh, we've been able to do this across the board, either in vegetables or row crops. So, it's pretty amazing what we can do today to get you purple lettuce or get you, you know, bigger blueberries or anything along those lines because we've been able to map the genome and see what makes that plant tick. What do you feel like the consumer is asking of you today, and can you satisfy it? Well, I think the first thing the consumer is asking, not only of us, but the agriculture community, tell us how it's made. You know, don't, don't make it, me think that there's something behind the curtain. Open it up and show us what's going on. And I think the, the industry across the board is looking to do that. There's no secrets here. The American food industry is trying to produce the best product available. With respect to seed, they're trying to better understand what we are doing today versus what Mendel did, you know, over 100 years ago, hundreds of years ago. So how do you, how do you improve that message? How do you talk to them? And how do you let them know that what we're doing is improved science? How did the vote in Hawaii, how is it affecting the seed industry now, and what do you expect of a resolution for that particular area? Hawaii is an ideal spot for our companies to operate. They can, on most, in most cases, we can get three crops a year and really turn around research and testing of, of varieties in a rapid manner. It's a very good uh, closed environment to do this. Our companies have been there for a long time. They have major investments, and they have great partnership with their employees down there. The vote in Hawaii was, was discouraging, I would say, uh, at a minimum. <laughs> um, but we, the companies have taken some legal actions, and the judge has put a stay on the um, law at this time for it to, to go through that appeals process. Um, we hope that that will give us an opportunity to work with the Commissioner of Agriculture in Hawaii and the citizens there to find a resolution. Our companies don't want to walk away from that investment, but if we have to, 
uh, I think they would find alternative places to, to do what we do uh, to improve seed on a regular basis. But that's just an example, really, of what you face on a global nature, isn't it? It really is, and it's quite disappointing because when you deal with the, a lot of the local community there in Hawaii, that's all their livelihood. I think it's the second largest employer in the, in the state. And when you look at something like that with good-paying jobs, with good benefits, uh, you know, environmentally sensitive, open to the community, it's, it's incredible to try and figure out why they would want to chase this industry out. This, just going to a broader sense as we come to a conclusion here, for 2015, for 2016, with inside this 114th Congress and, and with the last couple of years of the administration, are there particular items that you're watching that would either come from the legislative or the regulatory front that could either assist you or inhibit your growth? Well, I think the one area that we're working closely with the administration on is the area of reviewing breeding techniques and, and looking at uh, how uh, the government views them. The U.S. Is, is a leader in this area, and the rest of the world will look at us and to see how our government is looking at these and, and what they decide to do or not do. And so it's very important that we play a lead role in driving this. That will have some play, too, in what we do on the Hill. We've got to educate Capitol Hill and the staff and the legislators about the breeding techniques we're using and what they mean and what things have changed. And so that's a, that's a concern. And then uh, just looking at the whole area of food safety and how it's implemented over the next couple of years or the last two years of this administration. That's going to play a big role in, in how agriculture in general operates going forward. Andy, we appreciate so much the time that you were able to spend with us today here on Open Mic. It is Open Mic, so, sir, we just open the microphone to you for your thoughts uh, from the seed industry to uh, those who listen. Well, it's a great time to be in the seed industry and working with the companies that are part of ASTA. Uh, we really... Uh, feel that we have a, a great relationship with America's farmers and look forward to continuing that and, and bringing uh, new innovation to to their fields and crops for future uh, production. And it's just an exciting area to be right now, Jeff. We appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Our thanks to Andy Levine, President and CEO of the American Seed Trade Association, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the crop insurance industry. NCIS provides the primary safety net for millions of acres of cropland and hundreds of commodities across the U.S., enabling farmers to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.